You know, I thought it was interesting, the song that we just sang, there's a line in there that says, when, when I see ashes, you see beauty. And we think about those that have been affected by the fires this week, those that had to evacuate, those that have lost, and yet the, those that have been spared. And I saw a picture, it was particularly poignant to me just because of the fact that um, I have been uh, privy to be able to do some weddings at Sabrina Cedars and be a part of some of the events that Ashley and her team out there have. But I saw a picture today that is, it's basically just this gray ashes, the devastation from the fire that happened out there. And for those of you that are familiar with what Sabrina Cedars is, the main venue is a white, large white barn. The barn, by the grace of God, was spared. Now, the family lost the home, and there were some other things there at the venue that were lost, but this picture was this gray wasteland, and right in the middle of the picture was the white barn, and all I could do was praise God, praise God, because it was His hand there, and yes, it was His hand that allowed other things to be destroyed or damaged, But ultimately, as this song reminds us, the battle belongs to the Lord. And no matter where we are, no matter where the containment is at, and yes, we're praying for the firefighters and we're praying for rain and we're praying for for this fire to be put out once and for all and for those who've lost so much to rebuild, it's a reminder that the battle, whether we're battling things in our lives, whether we're watching others battle a fire, that the battle belongs to God, and we trust Him, and we walk with Him. And so I encourage you this week, as we continue to, to be fed by the news on the progress of, of containment and ultimately the rebuilding efforts and our opportunities to help others who have been affected by the fires, that we would remember that the battle belongs to God. A while back, there was a movie. This was kind of when Tom Hanks was in his, um, in his prime, I guess. It seemed like every year he was winning Oscars for Forrest Gump and for Philadelphia and, and, and other things that he's done. Um, obviously, a very talented man. But there was a movie made called Castaway. I don't know if any of you have seen it or if you remember it. Um, I remember first hearing about this movie, and I'm thinking to myself, Tom Hanks is going to carry virtually the entire movie, and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But basically, he survives a plane crash. He's marooned on an island all by himself. And just to kind of give you the Cliff Notes version, basically what happens is he's marooned on this island. He's real lonely. He loses a bunch of weight, and he makes friends with a volleyball named Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. And so, obviously, he goes through this whole period of this movie trying to figure out, you know, how to survive. Eventually, he gets to a point where he's like, I got to get off this island. I got to take a chance. And he knows that really the only way that he's going to get discovered is he, if he gets out in the vastness, if you will, of the ocean. And I can't imagine the, the thought process there of anyone who's ever kind of experienced anything remotely close to that, but it had to have been a hard decision. When you think about it, on one hand, he, he can survive on the island. I mean, he could. He could have survived on the island. You know, it's certainly not a place of abundance, but he can make it work. 
On the other hand, the longer he stays there, the less likely he is to ever see his family and friends and, and gets back to civilization. So he, he goes out. And of course, at sea, we know there's no guarantee of survival there. He could lose everything. He could be lost at sea. And I wonder sometimes, what would we do? What would you do in that situation? And I think in a lesser way, it kind of helps us understand maybe what the Jews were experiencing in Hebrews uh, when Jesus, you know, when Jesus arrived. They were pretty comfortable. You know, we talked a little bit about this last week. They were, you know, sticking with Moses' law. They were following the law. They were surviving. But then God did something that really changed the game, didn't he? He took the form of a man. He came and he walked among them. And he taught them, and he loved them, and he prayed for them, and he prayed with them. He, see, he offered the ultimate gift, the best gift we could have ever possibly asked for or wanted, and that was freedom from sin. For the Jews, it was freedom from the law. But see, in order for the Jews to have this gift, they would have to leave the comfort of what they knew of living under the law, of continuing to observe these rituals. They would have had to accept that Jesus truly is superior to Moses. And perhaps more than anything else, they were going to have to risk giving up all this Jewishness, I guess. I don't know if that's a real word or not, but you know what they had come to know to chart a new course, to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives and to put away all these rituals. And really, that's a lot of what chapter 3 is about. Um, you know, last week we talked about Moses and how Jesus is better um, than Moses. And we talked about the fact that, that Moses was uh, a, a faithful messenger. Jesus was a faithful messenger, a mediator. They had those things in common. Moses delivered the law. And Jesus brought the good news, the gospel. Moses served as a go-between for God and the Israelites, and today, Jesus is the mediator between God and all of mankind. So I stand before you to say that again, as I did last week, Jesus deserves far greater glory than Moses. And Moses was a great man, no question about it. In the eyes of the Jews, he was above, a step above the angels. But Jesus is better. Jesus is God when you think about it. This was most clear from verse 5 and 6, which say that Jesus is the Son Moses was a servant, so there's really no comparison. And as we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that that is truly the case. We're going to see these comparisons that Jesus is superior, he's better. Um, as I've told you, there's probably 13 different references in the book of Hebrews about why Jesus is better. And perhaps the most fascinating part of chapter 3 is this, the Old Testament rituals were illustrating, pointing to the real thing. When you think about it, all the rituals, all the rites, all the ceremonies, the sacrifices, they were all just arrows pointing directly to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7 and read through verse 19, and then we're going to kind of break it apart a little bit and talk about what I think the author is telling us here and how we can take what the author is telling us 
and apply it to our lives. So if you would please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, and we'll begin again. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, beginning with verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So we pick up in in verse 7. And what we're looking at here really is kind of a, a quote, if you will, of Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And the point that the reader is making here is he's warning the Jewish readers not to make the same mistake that their ancestors did, okay? These guys and gals, these Jews, if you will, had baggage in their family's history, okay? Um, If you've ever had an opportunity or taken the challenge to read the Bible in a year, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you get this whole history of what happened with the Israelites. They lived in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years. They built Egyptian buildings, tended Egyptian flocks, and did basically what the Pharaoh told them to do. If they didn't, they were beaten or killed. In effect, the Israelites were really Egypt's property. Their sons and daughters were born slaves. Um, The people of God were abused, they were crushed, and I'm sure they wondered for all those years if God really heard their cries. And I would say to you today, friends, that he did. There's no question. He saw their struggle. He heard their cries for deliverance. And then what did he do? He raised up an unlikely hero in Moses. You know, when you think about Moses, he had a pretty unimpressive start. You know, he had a stuttering problem. He wasn't, you know, well-known. He was a sheep herder for his father-in-law. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about being a superhero. It doesn't really look like the picture of a superhero, does it? But suddenly, Moses becomes God's chosen man. He's going to lead the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery. He had a wonderful message for them. Some excerpts here from Exodus, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you to be my people. This is God's message to the Israelites through Moses. 
and I will be your God. Exodus 3, verse 17, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the, of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then over to Deuteronomy 15, verse 6, says, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And then Genesis 12, 2, and I will make of you a great nation. It was a reminder of his promise to Abraham. I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing in Jacob. So what would you say, okay, if God offered all of that to you today? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, I suspect that most of us, perhaps myself included, would say, what's the catch? What's the catch? What do I have to do? to receive this? What do I have to do to truly be the kind of person that God wants me to be and to lead a life like that to where I'm worthy of that gift from God? Well, here's the catch. They had to go to a land that was currently inhabited by their enemies. But God said, I'm going to go there before you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you, okay? You will have it. So did they charge right in? <laughs> no, not even close. They did exactly what, what probably most of us would do. They waited. They wondered. They quit believing. They quit following. You know, after watching God destroy the Egyptians and throw off their chains of slavery, our passage says they hardened their hearts. At every turn, they questioned, they doubted, they whined, they complained. They just couldn't help themselves. See, historically, if you trace this history through the Old Testament, you see these continual things of evidence of God's presence in their life and his deliverance of them from whatever it might be. They go through a period of time where they're like, yeah, we're good. This feels good. And then what do they do? They, they keep messing up. They keep making mistakes. They couldn't help themselves. In Exodus 32, um, in addition to hardening their hearts, they, they created idols for themselves, broke not one but two commandments, the first two commandments. They married pagans. Okay, they married foreign women, and these women brought idols and false religion into Israel and corrupted them. Ultimately, they reject the promised land. You know, they sent spies over, came back and said, yeah, they're big, they're tough. What did Caleb and Joshua say? We can beat them. God's on our side. You know, at the height of all of that, they just said, let's go back to Egypt. We're better off being slaves. They didn't believe in God's power. They doubted God's ability to, to defeat their enemies because they messed up God's promise every way they possibly could. And they all, it seemed like they always had the worst possible response. See, God was trying to take people who had nothing and literally give them everything. All they had to do was trust him. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They just didn't have the faith that they needed. And so what happened? 
Well, they faced a terrible consequence, didn't they? They got to wander around in the wilderness for a long time until that unbelieving generation died off. You know, that whole generation who doubted God, he said, I've had enough. You're not going to see the promised land. You're going to die in the desert. You're going to die in your unbelief, and you're going to miss this blessing because you don't believe what I'm telling you. So our author in this first few verses says, let's not do the same thing. He's reminding the Jews of what happened. Pick it up in verse 12 where he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now see, there's some people that are kind of shocked by this passage. How could Christians... These are Jewish Christians. They've seen evidence of, they've heard about Jesus' ministry. They know about the good news of the gospel. But how could they have unbelieving, unbelieving evil, unbelieving hearts? How could they turn away from the living God? Well, as we know, it happens even today. See, and people want to debate this whole, this whole business of turning away from God. But I'm just going to tell you today, and I think, please stand in agreement with me today to say that Christians must never walk away from Jesus. Never. We have to take that warning seriously. We've seen it already, and we're going to see some more of it as we continue through this book that the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, is warning us to be on guard, not to allow our hearts to become hardened, not to walk away from the good news, the blessing that we have in our relationship with Jesus. We have to take that warning seriously. And our author tells us how to do that. First and foremost, it comes with this idea of guarding our hearts, okay? The, the, the writer is telling us we've got to guard our hearts from several things. The very first thing is evil or willingly acting in opposition to God. We should be concerned when we find ourselves willingly engaging in things that are not consistent with God's will for our life. Say that's not where we're supposed to be. It's not where God wants us to be. So we need to guard our hearts from that. We need to be on watch for the things that would draw us away from our true path with God. We need to guard our hearts from unbelief, okay, that slow erosion of our faith. You know, we've talked about it before that, uh, you know, the research proves out that for the most part, agnostics and atheists were at one time believers and something happened that caused their faith to erode and they walked away. See, unbelief is a tool of Satan. He's causing you to question. You know, I've had some people that I've talked to this week that have asked me, why would God allow certain things like the fires that we've experienced? Why does God allow bad things to happen in our lives? And I don't know that any of us will ever have a true answer until the day we stand before Jesus. And we can ask that question. But for now, 
as women and men and children of faith, our responsibility is to hold fast to God and believe what the word says when it says he has a great plan for our lives, a plan to prosper and not harm, to give us a hope and a future. See, we have to remember that it's his story. We are his children, and it's ultimately his plan. We have to hold on to that. So I've rarely met people, and getting back to this idea of unbelief, it's just a slow fade, if you will. There was a song, I think, Casting Crowns recorded several years ago. It talks about slow fade. When you do things that, that allow you to be drawn away from your relationship with Jesus. But it's a pretty rare occasion when I run across somebody who just quits on Jesus. Okay? I have met people, though, over time and experiences that they've had where they're slowly giving up on him. And they need that constant reminder that God is with you no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're dealing with today or tomorrow or the next day. God is with you. He's holding you. He loves you. You know, sometimes we, we, we are guilty of allowing things to pull us away. I've, I've often said that we will always make time for the things that are a priority in our life. You know, perhaps these who are allowing Satan to kind of pull them away from church, you know, maybe they week, miss, a, miss a week at church or maybe it's a month or a year and then they're shocked to realize they aren't really walking with Christ the way that they know they need to. They're not being discipled. They're not in the word. They stopped praying altogether and they, and they go, I don't know how it happened. Life just kind of took over. See, unbelief is a really sneaky enemy of God's church. And I would challenge you today to remember that it can happen to you, it can happen to me, it can happen to any of us. If we allow that, if we don't stay firmly planted in the word and stay connected to other believers. One of the other things that we need to really kind of guard our hearts against is this idea of becoming hardened or being callous to things. You know, we often can be tempted to, to say, oh, that's just a little white lie, or oh, that's not that big of a deal, or oh, that's just a little sin, or oh, I'll do this or that, whatever it might be. And I would say to you this morning that those little things, when you stack them all up, all of a sudden they become a great big thing. And we're reminded that in God's eyes, sin and sin, it doesn't matter what size it is, anything that grieves the Holy Spirit, anything that goes against what God would have you do as a child of His is a sin. See, for the Israelites, they just forgot how good God was. How powerful. They put the emphasis on themselves. They wanted to, to do their own thing. They wanted to trust in their own power, their own wisdom. They pushed God away. They neglected his commands. The result was tragic because that generation died in the desert. See, our faith, 
And this was something that the, that the Jews of the times, what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, is about our faith. Our faith is that holding on, that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how difficult it may be, that I'm holding fast to the faith and the promises of God. But see, faith is not an award, okay? Faith is not something that, that we get, just for accepting Christ. It's not a plaque we put on the mantle. It's not something we put in a safety deposit box. Faith is a living, breathing thing. It's like a garden, if you will. And what do we do with a garden? What do we have to do with a garden to make it grow? We have to fertilize it. We have to water it. We have to have sun. We've, we've got to give it care. And we've got to provide a ground for God to do what only God can do. See, our faith, if you think about it this way, our faith depends on prayer, on Scripture, and on fellowship. Those three things, if you can solidly do those things consistently as part of your faith, I believe that you'll have a strong faith. It's a strong faith that's going to stand in the face of temptation and be able to say, my God has anything, everything better than whatever the world could possibly offer me. But if we don't continue to do those things, be actively praying, be in the Word, be together in community of believers. See, it's a constant fight for us, though, because the world wants to pull us away. The world wants to show us something that looks prettier or looks more appealing. But it's really a true temptation away from the things that God wants us to be doing. See, we have to fight just like in our garden, we got to keep the weeds out. we got to keep pulling the weeds out to allow the good to grow. We have to do the same thing with our lives as Christians. When we stay in the Word, when we pray regularly, when we gather together in fellowship, it helps us pull the weeds out and stay where we need to be. But here's a, an important promise I think I want us to really key on, and that comes in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What a great guarantee for us, okay? We will, the faithful will ultimately share all that belongs to Christ. Okay, so think about what we've learned thus far in our study. Everything belongs to Christ. He's the owner and creator of heaven and earth. We are his sons and daughters, Okay, we are his children. But here in this verse, we see that we'll share in all that belongs to him. We're going to share eventually in heaven, the new earth, all of it. And it doesn't just say some. It's all the faithful, the people who follow Jesus. See, we want to make this more difficult than it is sometimes. And it simply comes back to this, the title of this series, Simply Jesus. We've talked about this before, our faith and our love for Christ, being a Christian and loving Jesus. Simply Jesus, only Jesus, nothing more than Jesus. And then as we continue on with verse 15 and following, we get this warning again, okay? He talks about, you know, who was God provoked with for 40 years? Those who sinned, whose bodies fell, those who would never enter his rest. 
And we're going to talk more about what God's rest looks like in chapter 4. But it's a reminder. Again, it feels like I'm foot stomping a lot about this warning to be on guard and to watch out. Because I think that it's so easy for us to slide. And we don't want to do that. So let me take us back to that deserted island for a second. Remind us that we're all kind of castaways. We certainly were before we became, you know, saved by God. The Bible says our sins have separated us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short. So none of us are perfect. None of us are worthy of the gift that was given us by Jesus' death on the cross. But like the character in the movie Castaway, many of us are surviving just surviving. And there's something more that we need. There's something more that we hunger for and that we crave. And I think what we have to do is just like Tom Hanks' character did. I've got to figure a way to get off of this island. I've got to take a chance. Maybe I'll be rescued. Maybe I'll be found. And in kind of a similar way, when we step out on faith, we're taking a chance on Jesus. You know, the ancient Jews were taking a big chance to leave Egypt, head out for the promised land. It was a huge step of faith. The Jews who received the letter of Hebrews were taking a big chance on Jesus, leaving everything they knew, leaving Moses, leaving the law, and going all in for Jesus. And for some of us here today, it seems like a big risk to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And I'm not necessarily just talking about someone in here today who may not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but I'm saying any of us who struggle with trusting Jesus and allowing Him to be Lord of our lives in every area of our lives, it can be a big step of faith because we want to be in control. Or we'd like to think that we are. We want to feel like, okay, God, I got this. I got this. I got this. And God's just watching. And he's waiting. And more often than not, we get a reminder that we're really not in control. And if you've ever veered off that path, if you've ever veered off a little bit, it usually doesn't feel very good. It hurts, but it's a reminder to come back, come back to the path that God wants you on. You may be scared. It's like, wow, if I turn control over to Jesus, what's that, what's that going to look like? Can I really trust him to be faithful? And if you've lived your life as a Christian for any length of time, I venture to say there's probably been regular repeat reminders that God is faithful. He's got you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You know, too often we kind of get in this, I'm going to just call it a rut, but we get into this predictability. We get up every day, we pretty much know what to expect. And even if it's predictably bad, at least it's predictable. You know what to expect. But are you truly living the way Jesus wants you to live today and every day? I would say to you that there is something bigger and better 
waiting out there for you. It's calling to you. If today, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's calling to you. He's inviting you into a relationship with him to say, trust me. I gave my life so that you could have forgiveness of sins. If today you sit here and you know that you're off the path, that you're not living in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, he's calling to you. And he's saying, come back. I'm going to forgive you. I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to lead you if you'll let me. And perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you just need a course correction. I don't know. But I would tell you that there not only are there better things, there are eternal things. With Jesus, everything leads to eternity. A wonderful, amazing eternity with him. But it all comes with a warning, and this passage kind of closes with that, that warning about as long as it is called today, do not harden your heart. Do not, do not reject Jesus. I don't want to die in disbelief. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be where he is. I want him to know that I love him so much that I don't want to be off the pass. So we're going to enter into a time of invitation here in just a minute where you're going to have an opportunity. And I believe that the Spirit is already moving in this place. There are hearts that are being convicted for not having been on the path and staying on the path that God wants you on. I believe the Spirit is already at work convicting hearts in this place. And if your heart is feeling convicted then now is the time to come and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the reminder of where I really need to be so that I can have a life that is pleasing to you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then please do not walk out those doors. Because today could be the day these moments that follow could be the moments that literally change your life and put you on a path to eternity with Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for these moments. Thank you for this reminder, Lord. And perhaps sometimes it has to be in the form of a harsh warning that tells us that we cannot, we must not, we should never, ever walk away from you. I thank you for this example, God, of what it means that as, as long as it's today that we are to soften our hearts and allow your spirit to come and live and dwell in us and be that constant presence of almighty God inside of us. Lord, we are ready and I know your spirit is already moving in this place. And so I pray, God, that hearts would be opened, that this would be the time that a heart is changed for you. And Lord, if there's one here today who does not know you, 
that your spirit would move in a powerful way to draw that person to you. Lord, if there are hearts that are, are, are hurting, hearts that have hardened because of life, God, I pray that your spirit would soften those hearts and allow them to accept the matchless grace and love that comes from you, God. Lord, we trust you. We believe you. We want to walk with you. We want to do that because of the faith that we have that when we take a chance on you, that you are faithful. God, we know that your word says you will never leave nor forsake us. So help us to hold tightly to that today. Help us to walk more closely with you to be more faithful, to be stronger in our conviction, to lead others to you, God. Lord, we know the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and you stand ready to welcome all who come for that relationship that is above all others with the name that is above all names, the wonderful, matchless amazing name of Jesus. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.